point, as I said, we're going to be focusing on Ephesians uh, 5, 22 to 24. And, and the issue is really that of marriage. You know, down in verse 32 of Ephesians, of Ephesians 5, Paul says that marriage is a mystery. The marriage is a mystery. And if you want to understand the mystery, you need to go back to the beginning. You need to go back to the very beginning, back in Genesis 2. So please turn with me in your Bibles back to Genesis chapter 2. And there you can, you can see that, that the Lord, um, in verse 15, the Lord had, had taken Adam, the man, and put him in the garden to, to work the garden and to keep it. And he, he there gave the warning to avoid the, the, the to not um, eat from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But then he said in verse 18, it is not good that the man should be alone. He said, I will make a helper fit for him. Well, what does the Lord then do next? It would probably surprise you. You would think that he, at that point, made Eve. But that's actually not what he did next. Instead of solving the problem immediately, the Lord did the unexpected. He took all of the animals that he had made and paraded them past Adam. Every animal, and it didn't have names yet, God, that God had given Noah the, the, the authority to name these animals, but, but one by one he paraded the animals past Adam and had Adam name them, all the way from Ardvark to Zisava, which I think is actually the last word in the English language. It's a type of insect. Ardvark has got two A's, Zisava, Z-Y, Z-Z-Y-V-A. Pretty safe to assume that that's the last word um, in the dictionaries. But the Lord paraded them, paraded them all past Adam and gave him authority to name these animals. And so there was a, a male aardvark and a female aardvark. There was a male bear and a female bear. There was a male cougar and a female cougar. But there was no suitable helper found for Adam. What, what the Lord had done in doing this was to reveal to Adam his need, that, that there was a sense in which, in which he was not complete alone. The Lord would make him a wife. And so we know what happened next. The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and formed it, to a, formed it into a woman and brought it to Adam. And when Adam saw the woman, he said, Whoa, man! And that's how we get the name woman. No, not really, but... But, he, but what he really said is, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman, for she is taken out of man. Husbands, just think for a moment about what went through your mind when you first saw your wife. Did you, think, did you exclaim something like that? Like, this at last is, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I'm sure, maybe not exactly those words, but that was probably something like that was going through your mind. This, this woman was the perfect gift, the compliment that the Lord had given to Adam as his wife, to be a helper for him. And it's here in Genesis 2, verses 24 and 25, that the Lord laid down the pattern for marriage. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It was paradise. But it didn't take very long for trouble to enter paradise. In the very next verse, in Genesis 3.1, enter the serpent. He deceives the woman into rebelling against God, and he convinces her to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the husband does the same, and sin enters the world. The man and the woman's eyes were now opened, and they saw their nakedness, but they tried in vain to cover themselves with fig leaves. They tried in vain to hide from the sovereign and omniscient Lord. It's an irrational plan because God sees and knows everything. And the immediate result of that sin was a fracture in the relationship between God and our first parents. Death entered the world. Man blames the woman, the woman blames the serpent, but they're all guilty. God cursed the serpent. He said that he would cause enmity between, between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. That, that he would bruise his, that the, 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 the offspring of the woman would bruise the serpent's head, but that the serpent would bruise the, 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 offspring's, the offspring's heel. And so in that we actually see that the beginnings of the gospel, there's a beginning of hope. Because we know that Jesus would crush the serpent's head that the serpent would bruise his heel. The man was cursed with the difficulty of toil and ultimately with death. The woman's pain in childbearing was to be multiplied and her desire would be for her husband, but he would rule over her. And it's on this last part of the, of the curse that we're going to focus this morning. The Lord told Eve that her desire would be for her husband, but that he would rule over her. She would try to control him, and he would dominate her. That this is the meaning is even more clear in Genesis 4-7, in the very next chapter, where the Lord uses the exact same words to warn Cain, who is about to kill his brother. He says to Cain, sin is crouching at the door, its desire is contrary to you, or its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. The exact same words as in Genesis 3. The effects of the fall would be felt most catastrophically in the relationship between God and humanity, but would also contaminate the most intimate of human relationships. That of husband and wife. The wife's desire would be for her husband, and she would try to control him. We've certainly seen this with the rise of, of feminism in our culture, but it's really nothing new. It goes all the way back to the beginning. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3. Likewise, man's oppression of women goes all the way back. We don't just see it in, in our culture, but we see men dominating and domineering women. It's a result of the curse. When, when you look at, at oppression and, at, and the abuse of women all around the world, you are seeing the effects of the fall. And we might not think that we see it as much in our, in our feminized Western culture, where, where most men either shirk their responsibilities or, or 
and let their wives lead, or, or sometimes even leave altogether. But women are shamefully treated here as well. But again, men aren't the only ones in sin. Wives commonly disrespect their husbands and, and try to usurp their authority. And it's all a result of the fall. But it was into this sinful world that God sent His only <coughs> Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save sinners just like you and me. In Christ, we find the effects of the fall overturned. In, in the most important of relationships, that between, between God and us, the effects of the curse are overturned because we are now brought into union with God through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. But the effects have also been overturned. The effects have also been overturned in the most intimate of human relationships, that between husband and wife. Throughout the teaching of the New Testament, we see, we see that, that the, the, the teachings of Paul and Jesus and of Peter work to actually overturn the effects of the fall. That they're seeking to return marriage to its pre-fall harmony. They said to redeem marriage from the effects of the curse and to restore rightful relationships between husbands and wives. That is exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing here in Ephesians 5, 22-33. We're going to be looking at this passage over three Sundays. Lord willing, we're going to look, um, in, a, in a couple of weeks we'll look at, at uh, 25-29 to 29 and then 30-33 uh, to 33 after that. But... But today, again, we're going to focus on uh, specifically on verses 22 to 24. And again, this passage is controversial in our culture. And the issue is that of wives submitting to their husbands. Now, this, this issue would not have been controversial even two generations ago in our culture. It's amazing how much has changed in the last 40 years, even in the visible church. Yeah, I'm so thankful to be in a church where the Word of God is seen as the ultimate authority that, that people here desire to submit to the Word of God. But to conclude that this passage is teaching anything other than that wives are to submit to their husbands is to reject God's Word. Now, I don't want you to agree with this because I'm saying it. I want you to agree with this because it is exactly what God's Word is saying. Now the structure for this message is, is pretty straightforward. There's three verses and three points. In verse 22 we have the command, in verse 23 the reason, and in verse 24 the application. But again as we walk through this it's vital that you consider it in light of the whole context. This is really going to be one sermon over three weeks. This is one passage, verses 20, well, 21, but specifically 22 to, to 33 are really one passage. You can't pull this out of its context, and even as we focus here mainly on wives, there's definitely strong messages for husbands here too. But husbands, we're going we're gonna to get into more detail in our, our conversation with, with you next week, or in two weeks. But verse 22, the command. The command is this, wives, submit to your own husbands as to 
the Lord. Now the word that's translated here, submit, as we saw last week in verse 21, means to arrange under. It means to order oneself under a leader, like, like soldiers under an officer of higher rank. Well, how does that make you feel? The, the Bible is, is commanding wives to submit to their husbands. Well, I have to admit, I'm not predisposed to thinking about it this way. I grew up in an egalitarian environment. If I'm going to use a word like egalitarian, I should probably define what it means for you. Egalitarianism means that, that there is no such thing as, as hierarchy in husbands and, with husbands and wives. It means that, that in every way that men and women are equal. As we'll see later, men and women are equal in the most important ways, but, but when it comes to their role, there is a difference between men and women. Complementarianism, on the other hand, doesn't mean that, that men and wives complement each other, but they should. What it, what it means is that their roles are complementary. It means that, that, that husbands and wives are to work together in, in, a, in a way that is complementary, like, like when the Lord made Adam, he, he, and when the Lord made Eve for Adam, he made her a helper suitable. It's a complementary role. Men and women equal under God in the image of God, but having different roles. There is a there is God given, a God-given hierarchy. As I said, I grew up in an egalitarian environment. Most of the, the families that I knew were, were actually striving for egalitarianism. They were striving to have no, no one leading over the other one. The university that I went to was, was extremely liberal, and, and I studied sociology in that school, which is a very liberal field. This, the, the, the current that I was swimming in was egalitarianism. But as a friend warned me when I first became a Christian, said if I encountered something in God's word that I disagreed with, I couldn't try to change God's word to fit my thinking. Instead, my thinking had to change to fit God's word. So when it comes to this issue, and, and to every issue presented in scripture, who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to your culture? Are you going to listen to your friends? Are you going to listen to your flesh? Or are you going to listen to the Word of God? <clears throat> now it's understandable that, that people would reject submission. It's, it's understandable that, that, that people would reject this because in, in the flesh, women don't like submitting to men. Children don't like submitting to parents. And men don't like submitting to anybody. But the real issue is that people don't like submitting to God. And until God does a, a changing and saving work in their hearts, people will never submit to God, to this passage of Scripture, nor any passage of Scripture. They won't have the desire to do that, nor will they have the ability to do that in any way, shape, or form. It's just like we talked about last week, in that the, the work of the Spirit in, in the church you need the Holy Spirit in order to be able to, to even desire to do what God is calling you to do, let alone to actually do it. 
So what exactly is the Apostle Paul saying here in verse 22 when he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, in order to understand what Paul is saying here, I think we need to understand what Paul is not saying. So first of all, Paul is not saying that women are inferior to men. Women are not inferior to men in any sense whatsoever. They are not inferior to men spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, or in ability. I, I know wives that would, would surpass their husbands in every one of these areas. Husbands and wives are also equal in their status before God. Because as I said earlier, in Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Men and women are equal in their status as image bearers of God. Christian men and Christian women are also equal in status in salvation. We talked about this last week in Galatians 3.28. In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. That, that doesn't mean that there, is, that there is no difference between men and women, it means that you are one in Christ, men and women, that, that women are not inferior to men. Peter calls wives co-heirs with their husbands in the grace of life in 1 Peter 3.7. So husbands and wives are equal in status. They're equal in status. You need to understand how countercultural that was in Greco-Roman culture, far more so even than in our day. But Paul, what he's saying here is that there is an order. There is a hierarchy. Though equal, there is a hierarchy with Husbands and wives having complementary roles. That's what Paul is saying here in verse 22. Second, Paul is not saying that women are to submit to all men. We see all around us that, that women are commonly dominated by men in the workplace and in the wider culture. But this is wrong, first of all, because domination in any form is wrong, but it's also wrong because this command is very specific. Look at it again. It says, wives submit to your own husband. He's emphatic here. That, that wives don't have to, have to submit to every other husband, just their own husband. Now, the, even the word that Paul used here refers specifically to husbands and wives, not men and women in general. Third, Paul is not saying that this command for husbands, that this is a command for husbands to, sorry, for wives to submit to husbands cancels the general exhortation that we saw in verse 21 of mutual subordination. Paul is not contradicting here his statement that he just made in the previous verse that, that those who are filled with the Spirit are to submit to one another out of reverence or fear of Christ. Paul isn't contradicting verse 21 here any more than the command in verse 22 cancels that one. That they're both true. And the issue is one of context. In, in verse 21, and in fact all the way back from, from chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is talking about relationships within the church. As we saw last week, our relationships within the church even in those who are in, in leadership positions, are to be those of, of humility and service. 
<laughs> but now with verse 22, he's shifting his focus and he's beginning to talk about family. He's going to talk about family all the way down to chapter 6, verse 9. So here in 22 to 33, he's talking about husbands and wives. And then in 6, 1 to 4, he's talking about, about fathers and children. And then in, verses, uh, in chapter 6, verses 5 to 9, he's talking about slaves and masters. So that's another controversial issue, but, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. The point is here that, that, that he is speaking specifically of the family code. The family code. Fourthly, Paul is not saying that men can dominate their wives. This does not allow for a controlling spirit. Quite opposite. Husbands are, are commanded to lead with love. They're to lead with humility. Husbands are to give their, their, themselves up for their wives in a way that is parallel to what Christ does for the church. We will see that especially next week in verses 25 to 29. Husbands, it is not your place to demand submission from your wife. Fifthly, Paul is not saying that the submission of wives is equal to the wife to excuse me to the wife's submission to the Lord. Women are to submit to their husbands as part of their submission to the Lord. That's what, what Paul is saying here when he says to submit as to the Lord. That the submission of wives to their husbands is just one aspect of their obedience to the Lord in general. This is really parallel to verse 21 where he says this mutual submission is out of, of reverence or fear of Christ. And ladies, this will help you. This will help you when your, your husband is difficult to submit to. And let's face it, your, your husband does not deserve your submission. Even at the best of times, your, your husband is a, a poor example of, of what it means to lead and, and love in a, in a Christ-like way. And I can speak from experience there. <coughs> that what is meant to be, be happening here is that, is that as you submit to your husband, even in those difficulty, difficult times, and maybe especially in those difficult times, that you can say, I'm doing this for you, Jesus. I'm doing this for you, Lord. It, it helps you to be able to do that. When, ladies, when you submit to your husband, you're submitting to Christ. And when you fail to submit to your husband, you are failing to submit to Christ. Now let's look at the reason that, that Paul gives in verse 23. The reason why wives should submit to their husbands is headship. It's headship. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now some argue here that the word head means source, and, and it's true that in some cases it does, but, but here in this context, very clearly, you can see that, that, that it means authority. It's also the way the Apostle Paul uses the word in 1 Corinthians 11 too. That the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now some of you will remember that last year I said that Christ eternally submits to the Father. Well, well that's not correct. Christ does not eternally submit to the Father. Christ submits to the Father in the Incarnation. I, it's, there, there's something called, called um, eternal subordination. 
that says that the Son eternally submits to the Father. Well, that's actually not true. That only in the Incarnation does the Son submit to the Father for the specific purpose of salvation. There's a time limit on the Son's submission to the Father. And there really is, is a parallel here because, because as wives submit to their husbands, there is a time limit on that. Because in heaven, there is no more marriage. You're not going to be husbands and wives. You'll be men and women under God. You, and and the, 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 the subordination of, of women to, to men in marriage will no longer apply. It's temporary. It's temporary. So may we, may we may see and understand what the Word of God is saying in this. this is, there is clearly a hierarchy that God has called there to be in your marriage. Now there's several books that have been, that have been written on this subject from a feminist perspective. And they claim that the hierarchy of, of men and women in marriage is as a result of the fall. Well, it isn't. It isn't. As we, we saw, as we saw earlier, that the, the authority actually comes from creation, for man was created first. And the, the Lord gave man authority over the woman when he gave her the, the right to name her. This is part of what it means to have authority. In the same way, parents, you have the authority to name your children. It's a it's a, a picture of the, the authority that you have over them. Paul makes the same point in 1 Timothy 2 when he, when he explains why women should not teach men in church. It's not because of ability, it's because of God's created order. Though men and women are 100% equal in bearing the image of God and 100% equal in salvation in Christ, there is a hierarchy that the Lord has built into marriage from creation. There needs to be a clear leader. I mean, even the world knows that. How would a company function if there were two CEOs? How would a nation function if there were two prime ministers? There has to be a clear leader. And the reality is that in the vast majority of marriages that claim to be egalitarian, that they really do have one leader. And it's the woman. But God designed it differently. He designed and designated that the husband would, that husbands would lead their wives. And that's because, as he says here, in verse, in verse 23, that Christ is the head of the church. The church has one head, Jesus Christ. And he is himself its savior. We are the body of Christ, and he is our savior. Now, husbands are, are not the savior of their wives, except maybe in the, in the sense of, of res rescuing them from, from creepy bugs that are, that are in the bathroom. But husbands are not the saviors of their wives. Now there is a sense in which husbands are involved in the sanctification of their wives. You'll see that, we'll see that next week. But, but husbands are not the savior of their wives. Christ is the savior of, of all of his bride, men and women. And this then leads us to the application, verse 24. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit in everything to their husbands. So Christ is the head of the church. The church submits to Christ. This is to be a model of the submission of wives to husbands. Again, in order for us to understand this, though, I think it would be helpful for us to understand what Paul is not saying so we can understand what he really is saying. First of all here, Paul is not saying that the husband's authority is equal to that of Christ. Husbands, we know that we are fallible. We know that we fail all the time to live up to the perfect standard of Christ in every way, not just in our marriages. We cannot use this as a, as a claim to, to, to some kind of, of God-like Authority. This is part of the curse. This is what we see in, in so many cultures and even prevalent in our culture. It is men who, who, who just will not, uh, will not even enter into discussion with anything with their wives and say, this is the way it is, deal with it. The, the reason why our culture has, has even moved away as much from that as it has is because of the Christian heritage that, that, that this country was founded on. At least the principles of a Christian heritage. Paul is also not saying that the wife is, is in subjection, in, is in servile slavery to her husband. Husbands, if you are demanding that, that your wife serves you, if you are demanding anything from your wife, you are failing to understand what this passage means, and you are failing to understand what he is calling you to. And again, we'll focus on that quite a bit in two weeks' time. It is showing honor to the woman, Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 7. Showing honor to your wife. It's, it's a, it's, yes, it's a leadership, but it is, it is a humble leadership. Paul is also not saying that wives are to submit to their husbands in sin. When, when he says at the end of verse 24 that wives should submit in everything to their husbands, he, he's not, it's just not a blanket statement. Wives are not to submit to their husbands in sin. If, if, if you're wondering about that, think about Acts chapter 5. Sapphira submitted to her husband Ananias in his sin, and she got the same punishment as he did. They were both struck dead. Wives, if your husband is in sin, you need to pray for him. You need to pray for him, and you need to lovingly Go to him and talk to him about it, but you ultimately submit to God, not to him. Likewise, Paul is not saying that a woman should suffer through abuse. I need to speak on this for a couple minutes here, because, because there are many who would twist this scripture, who would say that, 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 a, that a woman um, should be able to just suffer silently through abuse. If a husband is being abusive in any way, wives are not to suffer through it. Wives have a recourse. They have the law. And it's true they have the law of God on their side, but I even mean the civil law. It is entirely appropriate if a, if a husband is abusing a wife to seek help from the authorities. And the wife also has, has another recourse. The church. The, 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 one of the things that one of the, the, the 
things that the church can do is to be kind of a, a check and balance, that if, if a husband is usurping his authority, especially in, in the form of abuse, that the church really needs to get involved to, to help the couple to deal with whatever the issue is. I know of one pastor and his wife actually moved in with, with the couple. The husband was abusing the wife and chronically, and the, the pastor's wife moved in with them in order to help them to overcome. And I don't know how that, that story ended, but that is really in the trenches pastoring. But, but husbands must never use the, the authority that they've been given by God as an excuse to abuse their wives in any way, shape, or form. Husbands have, and wives have equal dignity. They have equal value before the Lord. I need to have a word here to husbands. Husbands, if, if you walk away from this message upset with your wife or with a, a mental checklist of all the ways that your wife fails to submit to you, then, then you are on the wrong track. You're on the wrong track. You should instead be more aware of your own shortcomings. The ways that you need to grow in this so that you can help your wife in this area. Humility is more keenly aware of its own sin. And it doesn't mean that you're not aware of, of, weak, of failures and weaknesses in this area. It, humility doesn't mean that you don't lovingly deal with it, but it, it comes with a heart to know that you too are a sinner saved by grace. You need to ask yourself, are you striving to be the kind of husband that is easy to submit to? Is your leadership clear? Uh, this is an area that I feel in. Sometimes I, 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 I don't clearly express what, what I think on an issue and I, I leave Jane wondering. Is your leadership biblical? Are you guided, are you guided by biblical principles in your decision-making process? Is your leadership unwavering? When you come to a clear biblical decision, are you, you willing to stand firm on that no matter what your wife or no matter what anybody says? Is your leadership gentle? This is another area where, where I, I've failed. Where I've, I've not always led Jane in, in a gentle way. Is your leadership not domineering? Now there's a difference there. This, even the gentleness that some people would use submission as a license for domination. There's a, a, a teaching that it's called biblical patriarchy. Biblical patriarchy, and, and I'll say that, that biblical patriarchy is, is, is like grape nuts, it's neither grapes nor nuts. Biblical patriarchy, in the sense that it's often meant, is neither biblical nor is it patriarchy. It's an excuse for men to dominate women. And it, it's common in some churches. It's the type of teaching that, that says it is, it is basically sinful for a wife to work outside of the home. It's the, the type of teaching that, that says that, that a wife could never go to somebody in the church if her husband is in sin. This is unbiblical. It's unbiblical. And husbands, are you striving to be the kind of, of servant-hearted, humble leader that, that Christ is calling to you, that, that Christ is an example of? Single men, 
Are you striving to, to, to be that kind of a man now? Are you striving to, to in, in any way that you can, to, to show deference and to, to, to be humble in, in, in the ways that you interact with the women in your life? And women, when, if you're thinking about, about marrying a man, single women, then think about the way that he treats his mother, because it's a pretty good chance that's the way that he's going to treat you. Single ladies, are, are you cultivating this type of, of relationship that, that in, your, in your relationships now, this, this submissive spirit, this even thinking about what Paul had said back in verse 21, this, this character, the Holy Spirit driven of, of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If that's the case, then that is likely going to, to translate into your marriage. We need to realize that this is not natural. Older women, are you striving to be an example in this? Is, is your relationship with your husband one that you would want the younger ladies in this church to emulate? In Titus 2, verses 3 and 5, older women are, are exhorted to this very thing, that they are to train younger women to love their husbands and children. And, and there's other things there, but, but specifically thinking here, is your, is your marriage one that you would want the young ladies in our congregation to, to follow after? Have you ever seen a marriage where this is really working like it should? When you've seen how, how husbands and wives come together as they were designed by the Lord to, to do and to work together for, for the glory of God. Maybe you've even experienced it at times in your own marriage. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a beautiful dance. Where the husband is, is graciously leading his wife through the, across the dance floor of life. But so often what happens is, is there's stepping on each other's toes. Right? Or the, the wife is dragging her husband across the dance floor. Well, the God designed a beautiful dance. Now, now, Jane and I are dancers. But, but I hope and I pray that in our marriage, that, that this, we're growing in this. I hope and pray that your marriage is growing in this. That, that you're looking at, at the high calling of, of what God has given you in marriage. You're saying, I want my marriage to be like that. If you fail, and we often do, we need to confess it to the Lord as sin. Wives, when you fail to submit to your husband, it is sinful. And ultimately, your sin is against the Lord. And you need to confess it to him as sin. You need to confess it to your husband and ask his forgiveness for your failure to do this. You need to confess it to your children and ask their forgiveness for your failure to model it. children need marriages like this. The greatest gift you can give your children is a marriage that reflects the gospel. Husbands and wives working together in unison, fulfilling the plan that God designed for them in their marriage. Your church needs this. Your church needs godly examples of, of husbands and wives. Your, our culture needs this. Everything in our culture is screaming against this. And how much Oh, what great of an opportunity you have as our culture rejects this teaching to exalt the gospel of Jesus Christ in your marriage. The, the family is the building block of culture. It is the most important institution in our culture. 
far more important than Parliament. And your marriage can make a difference. Just think about the privilege that you have. I, I said earlier that it didn't take long for, for sin to enter paradise. But that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the gospel of Jesus Christ overcomes the effects of the curse. It overcomes the, the, the effects of the curse in our relationship with God, and it overcomes the effects of our curse of the curse in the relationship that we have with each other, especially in marriage. And so in your marriage, you have the privilege. You have the privilege of overcoming the curse. What a glorious thing. And we commit, all of us, to seek to, to live out marriages where the gospel is reflected. Are you praying for the marriages? For, for, are you praying for your marriage? Are you praying for the other marriages in this church? There is an assault against marriage. But by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we have an opportunity to overcome to reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Let's pray together.